I wonder if you can remember who the reading was about. Peter. I was given a gift recently um, by one of my colleagues and it's called the Women's Lectionary and it takes you through the year, Sunday by Sunday, and it highlights the voice of a woman from the Bible. So you heard this morning that the passage was about Peter, but actually what I'm going to talk about is Rhoda. Did you hear Rhoda? You did, I'm glad. My mum and her sister were born in a little town called Kirimuir, and Kirimuir's near Forfar, and they were born in the 1930s. And they very sadly lost their own mum when they were very young, and they were brought up by their father, my granddad, and one of his sisters, who was an unmarried woman, so she was Auntie Maggie. And my granddad worked as a journeyman. He was a painter and decorator, and he would kind of travel around the local area doing painting and decorating for people who needed it. And very often, people didn't have money to pay him, so they paid him in kind. They paid him with chickens and with rabbits. And life was very happy and emotionally secure for my mum and for her sister, my aunt, but they had very little money to buy anything other than the necessities. And I remember a story that my mum told me. They used to go tatty hawking, pulling up the potatoes in October. That was their October holiday. And the money that they earned for that paid for their school uniform. When my mum was 16, she left school and she went to pre-nursing college in Dundee for a year and then moved to Aberdeen into the nurse's home there to train fully as a nurse. And her younger sister left school at 14 without any qualifications whatsoever and she went into service. She went into service with a family in Forfar. The man or the head of the family was a sheriff. And when I was little, I used to think it was a Wild West sheriff because that was the only kind of sheriff that I knew about. But this was a court sheriff. And so began her life as a nanny. And in her working life, she moved from family to family by recommendation. And in her last job before her retirement, she worked for a stockbroker's family in Gloucestershire. And this family lived on an estate and on the neighbouring estate to them was Prince Charles and Princess Diana. And the three children that my Auntie Betty and Nanny too were sometimes invited to play with the Princess William and Harry at Highgrove House and Auntie Betty would accompany them on these journeys. Auntie Betty is now 88 years old and the stockbroker's family have taken care of her since her retirement. They bought her a small flat and she lives in that flat now. She's very happy and the family come to visit her now and again. And the, the three children that she looked after are obviously now adults. They've got children of their own. They live in different parts of the country. One of them lives in America, but they still come back to visit Nanny. For me, born only in the next generation to Auntie Betty, her life seems so restricted by the socio-economic situation that was placed upon her. As an unmarried woman with no qualifications, she had no one to support her or give her a home. She was at the mercy of people who had money who could take her into their home and provide her with employment. And that remains her position now in the 21st century. She's still dependent on them. 
2,000 years ago, the situation for women was exactly the same. In our reading from Acts this morning, we meet Rhoda. Rhoda's name means Rose. It was nice to meet a Rose this morning. Rhoda was at the mercy of those who had money to take her in and provide employment for her so that she wouldn't be a burden on her family. And she worked for a lady called Mary. And Mary, we can uh, deduce, is widowed. She has a house of her own, so probably the man she was married to had a lot of money. She's hosting a prayer meeting for a small group of Christian converts. That was a dangerous thing to do. So here is a woman who is very brave. She can afford to have a servant girl. She's got lots of money. She can afford to have people into her house to pray for the Christian church. She is somebody who is very important in the Christian church. And in those days, because Christians were being persecuted by the Romans who wanted Christians to worship their gods and not Jesus Christ, they were worshiping behind these closed doors. And Rhoda would have had a very important job. She would have had the job of making sure that whoever came to the door was friendly. Well, if they weren't friendly, they weren't going to get in. So we have Mary, we have Rhoda. We have this group of Christians praying for the early church in Mary's house. So this, this is our first story. And outside the house and a little distance away, there's another story developing. Peter, the man whose name you heard, Peter, one of the apostles, was moments from marching beside Roman officers out of the prison and to his execution. Herod had already beheaded James, another apostle, and the Jewish community, who were also at odds with the early Christian church, were delighted. And Herod hoped by executing Peter that he would gain even more adulation and support from the Jews, and so his power would grow. However, as we heard in the reading, before the guards could escort Peter to his beheading, an angel appeared and shook Peter by the, by the shoulders and woke him up in his cell. And the chains just fell off Peter's hands and ankles and the angel led him past one guard post and then a second guard post and then finally through the city gates to freedom. And this is where our two stories come together. Because where did Peter go when he got into the city? He went straight to Mary's home where his fellow Christians were gathered in prayer so that he could tell them that he was free and that God had answered their prayers. Can you imagine how excited and fearful he must have felt? So Peter knocked on the door of Mary's home Rhoda would have been well trained not to answer the door before finding out who was on the other side. When Peter called out, she immediately recognised his voice. And she was so excited that prayer had been answered and that he was free that she forgot to let him in. And what she did was to run straight into the prayer meeting to tell everybody that Peter was at the door. Now, whether it was because she was a girl or a servant or both, that those gathered for prayer would not believe her. They would not believe her. And they announced the ultimate put down by telling her she was mad. She was out of her mind. But Rhoda had a strength of character and a conviction that she was right and she persisted. But they told her it wasn't Peter. 
but merely his angel because they believed that Peter was dead. And all this time while this toing and froing was going on between Rhoda and those in the prayer meeting, poor Peter is still outside knocking on the door. It's almost like a comedy sketch. And eventually either the prayer meeting saw the light or Rhoda wore them down, we're not told, but they went to the door and they opened it and they saw for themselves that Rhoda was right. Peter was alive. What do these two stories tell us today? I think it shows us that those who have wealth and position in society have power and they have their voices heard and respected. Mary, the owner of the house, must have been one of the voices who told Rhoda she was mad. And others would have respected her voice because she was the owner of the house. But it also shows us that God uses those who seemingly have no voice to speak the truth to power, to speak the truth to justice. I'm sure you will recognise the name Greta Thunberg. In just nine months, Greta moved from being a solitary teenage figure sitting outside the Swedish parliament protesting against climate change nine months to being the global mouthpiece for the global fight against climate change. 16, not that much older than some of the children here. 13 and 15 year old sisters Amy and Ella Meek created Kids Against Plastic Movement with the goal of collecting 100,000 pieces of plastic one for every sea mammal killed by plastic waste each year, 100,000. And what started as a homeschool project has since become an award-winning charity. And the sisters are presently campaigning to get single-use plastic bottles off the shelves of every supermarket in the UK. Malala Yousafzai, was 15 years old when she was targeted for advocating for girls' education in Pakistan. You'll remember that story from the news. A gunman tried to kill her as she walked home from school, but she survived the attack. And she and her family moved to the United Kingdom where she received life-saving treatment. And after her recovery, she launched a fund called the Malala Fund, which is a non-profit organisation that advocates for girls' education all round the world. And when she was just 17, 17 years old, she was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for her work to ensure that girls everywhere could go to school. 17 years old, the voice of a child, the voice of a teenager. God uses those who seemingly have no voice to speak the truth to power. And what does that mean for you and for me? It means that the way to right wrongs, to speak truth to power, is to shine the light of truth into situations of injustice, to shine the light of Jesus Christ into this world. 
Remember the words of the call to worship at the beginning of the service. Christ has no hands but your hands. No hands but your hands to do his work today. Christ has no feet but your feet to lead others in the way. Christ has no lips but your lips to tell of how he died. Christ has no love but your love to bring others to his side. Our seemingly small and insignificant voices and actions have power. They have power when they are spoken and carried out under the power and authority of Jesus Christ. I want to share with you a couple of examples from Glasgow Presbytery which show why we cannot be complacent, why we cannot afford to remain quiet, why we have to be like Rhoda, why we have to shine Christ's light into this world. And the first one was related to me by a colleague who is the ecumenical officer for Glasgow Churches together. Her name's Elspeth. And Elspeth often works very closely with the Lord Provost Office in Glasgow to represent the part of Christian churches in civic events. And some years ago, Elspeth was in conversation with the Lord Provost PA about the blessing of the crib service. I don't know if you've ever seen the crib in George Square at Christmas time. It's all glassed in now and sometimes inside the glass it gets all condensed so it's difficult to see. <laughs> and it's all glassed in, I was led to believe, so that nobody steals the baby Jesus. Now, Elspeth was in conversation with the Lord's Provost PA and the Lord Provost PA said to Elspeth, Elspeth, I think this year we'll do it differently. We'll get the Sikh community leaders to bless the crib. Now, Elspeth is 75. She is diminutive in stature. But to use a good Glasgow phrase, she had a square go at the Lord Provost PA, who soon came to realise who Jesus was and why his birth was important. But without Elspeth's small voice, I suspect that that particular year would have been the beginning of the end of the blessing of the crib service. And the second situation relates to a church in Glasgow which set up a charity many, many years ago to work with children and families in a deprived area of the city. And written into the constitution is that the chair of the board of the charity will be the minister of the church and there will be a particular number of the congregation who are members of the board. The other members of the board are folks from the local community. And this particular church is fragile. And over time, the congregation has been unable to fill all the places on the board that it can rightfully do. The minister left a few years ago, and because of presbytery planning, the charge has remained vacant. And during this time, a board member from the community has moved to change the constitution and remove the stipulation that the chair of the board is the minister. Thus far, he has not succeeded because even though there are few members of the church remaining on the board and even though they are in their 70s and 80s, they are feisty. They are feisty and they love Jesus. They love Jesus and they want the children in their community to come to know and love Jesus too. Speaking truth to power is difficult. It makes us vulnerable. 
But just as the early church gathered together to pray for their safety and survival, they also prayed for courage in faith and in life to follow God's call on their lives. God can use our voices, no matter how quiet or how small they seem. He will use our voices to speak truth, to power, to justice. We just need to be willing for him to work through us. We just need to say yes, and he will do the rest. And you'll know the places in this community and in the wider world where the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ needs to challenge power. You will know. It might be in casual conversations with neighbours. It might be in local community groups. It might be with the community council or South Lanarkshire Council. It might be through agencies like Tear Fund or Christian Aid. It might even be in the church. Can you today, can you today in response to the word of God say, yes, Lord, use me to speak truth to power. Use me as you used Rhoda to speak truth to power in word or action or prayer. Can you say under your power, under your authority, Lord Jesus Christ, let me shine your light into this world and let me challenge injustice. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for the time that we've had today. Time to hear Rhoda's voice, to recognise her strength and faith. And we hear your call, we hear your call to us over 2,000 years later to do as Rhoda did, to speak out and to share the truth of our faith and to challenge all that oppresses and demeans our fellow human beings and your creation. Help us never to be deaf to your calling and to rise up today and respond so that all shall see your glory now and forever. Amen. <laughs>